We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. Some of his most popular works, two English poems by Jorge Luis Borges, coming up today. And did you know, sir, what language this was originally written in? This was a shocker to me. He wrote these in English, and I didn't know that Borges was bilingual and that he was fluent in English. And I'm so bummed that like I didn't get more English stuff of his or we didn't have more English stuff, English stuff to read. So mm-hmm. good. Was this his first or was it his only thing that he had written in English? It's it's not super common, right? So, you know, coming upon this, like you you'd think that there might be more, right? But there's not a ton that he's written in English if anything else. Yes, I believe this is his first Fourier into English, and there was a, a specific reason why he wrote these in English, at least that's what many people believe, is that this was a love letter. These are two love poems, and he's writing them to a woman that reads in English, so he has a agenda of why these are done in a specific language. So 1934, these are published, and before I did any research, so it sounds like you might have kind of stumbled down the same rabbit hole that I did. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think looked. so. Yeah, I was like, okay, so when did he meet Elsa, right? Like, are we talking about her? But that makes sense that, I don't know, I don't I don't know Elsa, I don't want to defame her, but, but I have read things that she was very boisterous, very loud, very, very brass and to the point. And the way these are written, they're, there's like an elusiveness to them. There's subtlety to them. And you bring up a good point about it being written in English for an English speaker, right? So so did did what you read, does it say who it was for, or is that kind of an unknown? Yeah, I think both you and I stumbled upon Daniel Boulderston's uh, paper about this, and he talks about how they're really unsure who he wrote this for, uh, but there's a lady, uh, a Babyloni something i'm i'm not going to try to butcher her name that that he dedicated the stories to at one point in time in a revision and so they're they're really unsure who he wrote this for there's a lot of speculation of uh which different lady he was in love with at which different time in his life rededication to this so we we, we don't know for sure exactly who he may have intended these for yeah well i saw that it was uh, originally titled like prose poems for ij but I didn't finish the whole paper. I don't know if you did, but I did see some of the original manuscripts were written in English. And I was like, oh, this, wow, that is kind of interesting because this was, this was a process, right? Like he didn't just crap out the greatest poem ever, right? He, he worked on these to get him to a place where he was more happy with them, right? You can find online the different uh, manuscripts that, that were produced and will show all the different revisions that Borges went through in writing this. And it's incredible to see that even on just one line, he would go through and scrutinize his work and rewrite it eight times until he felt it was perfect. 
And that says a lot about how important these poems were, but just how hard you have to try to, quote, perfect your work. And, and as Una has said so many times on the channel, that an artist's work is never truly done. And I think that Borges kind of proves that for us here, that you are going to go back and revise and revise and revise time and time again until you feel that maybe it's not perfect, but it's worthy enough to publish for someone that you are in love with in this case. Mm, that's a good point. Now, I'll say this. So comparatively, I guess when you compare our art, th these videos, right, like it creates a product. The nice thing about literature and poems is that he has that opportunity to to change the words to hit the way that he wants, right? What's interesting about this art form here in terms of discussions is you get back into the editing room and you're like, oh, yeah, how did I not see this? This, this isn't obvious. I should have said this instead. Or, hmm, I don't like the way that we came across here. You know, we might have been thinking one thing, but the way it came out, we might lead some people down a path that I actually was not intending. And while sometimes we can edit out parts of what we said, or let's say I start speaking here and I'm, I'm umming and I'm stuttering too much, well, I'll just do a retake, right? Like there's, there's some art in that, but there's, there's also rigidity in art too, right? That's why... Some people say poems are liberating for them because instead of just being free to do whatever you want, like with prose writing, well, I've got to fit into a specific structure or I'm trying to hit a specific tempo or meter or my stanzas need to be a certain length or have a certain rhyming pattern, that sometimes that can be liberating and push you to discover things when you do have limitations put on you. But there's still times I want to edit out what I say in editing. <laughs> And of course, that comes down to the medium that you're using to express yourselves. Ours, obviously, can only be edited and re-uploaded so many times to YouTube. But something like a poem, you can go back to and revisit as you personally change. And I think that Borges is changing the way he is feeling about different people, the way that he is evolving as a writer. That's going to come into play here. He's learning, I think, slang. And that's a big part of language as well that a lot of times writers leave out because it might alienate somebody in your audience because they may not understand the slang, especially different languages, because slang is the hardest part of a language to pick up. And even uh, uh, Daniel in his paper points out that some of the words that Borges is using in here, um, like dark blue, top heavy, street corner, those are hybrid words that are, are very difficult for maybe a non-native speaker of English to understand. And that's why he had to work so hard at this poem in order to just, you know, tweak it just right for his love to understand how he is trying to convey what he feels towards her. And you bring up some good points about this opening part, because when he starts talking about how the useless dawn finds me in a deserted street corner, I have outlived the night. Right. First of all, surviving the night as an introvert can relate, just saying. But then he starts talking about the night, our proud waves, as you said, here comes the dark blue top heavy waves like those, you know, those those those, those words like that. Did you have any resonance with this? Because I look back on like my 20s and the idea of unpredictability of, <laughs> of you never know what's going to happen in the night. The night is exhilarating, but it's also terrifying, too, for for someone like me, at least I'll say that. <laughs> For sure, right? I, I think there's that uh, saying, what is it, nothing good happens after 2 a.m. or after midnight or something. And I, I feel like that Borges kind of got that, that the nighttime is something that is 
elusive, uh, not necessarily wicked, but something wicked can always kind of come this way because you can't see what's in front of you. So you don't know what's going to happen because there is no light kind of guiding your path or guiding your way. Well, with that said, you have the unpredictability of the night, but you still head out, right? Is it because you're looking for a mate? Is it you're looking for a release after a tough week? with with work perhaps or you're just looking to you know let off some steam with the boys you know there's a lot of different reason why we head out into that unknown wave of the night and Borges kind of continues that that very nice imagery and metaphors but there's that turning point where he says the things my hungry heart has no use for the big wave brought you and to me this is kind of a well it's lyrical right like to, to have the hungry heart and a big wave brought you uh, to to say someone was lonely and to say this is how they encountered them, how they met them, right? Like, first of all, beautiful writing, right? Better in English than I am. <laughs> but it's also <laughs> the, the the hated friends, the bitter ashes, you know what I mean? Like someone who is social, I love going out, but at the same time, I start to kind of resent being out two hours into the night. Like usually like I'm kind of like, can I be back by midnight? Like I'm, I'm kind of ready for bed. <laughs> So so to have this guy being there, but still being resentful of the situation, but being thankful for the big wave to have brought this woman, right? His, his the reason he's writing this poem, it it's the gift, right? And I think we can all relate, I think, to that moment, perhaps. I definitely could relate to that. I understand where Borges may be coming from that. Maybe he was always out at night looking for love when you're a young man or a young person, young woman, young whatever, and you're out there and you, you feel a little bit lonely, you're insecure, and you're looking for that love, and you just keep looking and looking and looking, and you maybe see all around you, all of your friends in relationships, they seem to have love figured out, and you don't. It, it gets down, it weighs down on you, right? It's a burden, and that wave crashes down, pulls you down into the depths of darkness, and you kind of enter that into that level of despair, and then when you finally see that that bright light shine upon you, you feel a sense of relief, and, and that's exhilarating, especially as a young person, when you've seen so much maybe, you know, heartbreak uh, through your teens and 20s, when you finally achieve, you know, what you think is happiness, that can be something that uh, is, is special. And I think that's what Borges was trying to say is, thank you for giving me this gift um, because it's something I haven't had before as he's looking out across his life and his uh, past relationships. And then it kind of ends back at the dawn, right? Like it's a, it's a very circular poem where you can kind of view it as we're at two polar ends of the day, right? And we're, we're braving the sea. And again, a lot of times when we talk about the sea, what does that represent in literature? unknown changes, unpredictability, and to kind of associate that with the night only to have, I don't say evil, but the, 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 un the unsuredness, I can't think of the right word, washed away by the dawn, right? Like the dawn comes along and it kind of, I don't know, for me it had a, a hopeful ending, I feel like, to the end. And it was also very cyclical in a sense, too, of like you were going to end up at this point no matter what. It has a rebirth feeling. It's it's going to happen whether you want it to or not, and you should be thankful for the positives that you get out of it is kind of how I, I took the end of this first piece. Now, moving into the second piece, right, we have a lot more longing, I want to say, right? Like, we got these lines, what can I hold you with? 
as if you're going to disappear, like something slipping through your fingertips. You know, I offer you the bitterness of a man who has looked long and long at the lonely moon. So, you know, is this bad? Because I also think the moon's kind of like, he's got his buddies, his stars. The sun's the one that's lonely, if you ask me. But I know what you're going for, Borges. (laughs) (laughs) Well, too, we're back at nighttime again, and he's still struggling with this love. Uh, So it's almost like the poems are waxing and waning here. Uh, See what I did there? Uh, Yeah. uh, uh, But I I, I, I think that the moon is always kind of related more with that lovey-dovey feel, I think, in in literature is how I've kind of interpreted it here. And I think that he's looking at her as a, a, a bright light that is going to help his loneliness and that she's the only one that can do it. And then it kind of shifts into the, you know, like this guy, like it's, it's, it's slipping through his fingers is, is, is the main feeling that I had. But then he says, I offer you my ancestors, my dead men, the ghosts that living men have honored in bronze, my father's father killed in the frontier of Buenos Aires and goes on. How did you take some of this, this, I don't want to use the word bravado because sometimes that can have like, like, you know, like that negative feel. But how did you take this presentation of I am the man who I am because of the past and I'm proud of it is is kind of how I took it. Agreed. And I don't think it's necessarily a negative thing. This is the part of the story where he's trying to woo her. He realized how special she is, how much he wants to be with her. And he wants to say, hey, this is who I am. I'm going to be up and front honest with you. This is my last name, and I want to give you that. I want you to be part of my heritage because it's important, and it represents a big piece of who I am and my self-identity of who I think I am, and that you can become a part of this and be a part of our great legacy. So I didn't see it as a bad thing at all. Well, I just meant the word bravado. Like it's Sometimes that's a word that might imply that this is a bad thing, uh, which which is what I didn't want to intend is what I was trying to say. But – to your point about I am who I am, he also offers the opportunity for change, right? Like he, he says, I offer you the loyalty of a man who has never been loyal. So this is a guy who is willing to give up even, even how proud he is of who he is, like his past, what, what, what brought him to the point he, he is today. He's never been loyal, right? Whether he's been a loner, whether he hasn't found the right person to do that, but he's willing to change that for her and I don't think it just stops with just the loyalty. I think he's willing to give up some of that to to make it work with this this person to whom he writes the poem. <laughs> this screams red flags, man. Uh, anytime somebody's like, oh, I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to be a better person for you. I'm going to change for you. That just screams for me that, again, it's a manipulation tactic. Maybe it's genuine, and maybe Borges is really saying, I'm going to be a better man to be with you if you give me a chance, and and maybe that is true, but why can't you just be that for yourself? Why does it have to be from someone else? Because if you're doing something for someone else's sake, then is it genuine? And are you going to continue doing it? Because you're already starting to create this narrative of what the relationship is going to be like in your head. Because you're formulating this relationship that does not exist, and then when that person doesn't reciprocate the same way that you've already built up the story in your head, what happens then? Do you continue to behave this way? Do you continue to be loyal? 
I don't know. So yeah, I was like, oh, Borges, uh, don't 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 say that. <laughs> well, I mean, aren't poems supposed to be maybe ephemeral? Aren't they supposed to be romantic in the moment? Like you're getting caught up with the emotions. And and I don't think it's necessarily wrong to be caught up with the emotions. And I don't I think yes, when you when you say it like with the term manipulative, that's gonna put a, a negative tint on it. But I, is that fair? Right? Is it is it fair that if you are a person who says, I know that I need to change certain parts of myself in order to make this the best relationship possible? Do I have to call that manipulation? I don't think I do. I think we can see this man is so smitten and caught up in the in the idea of the woman, right? I'll give you that, right? Like he, he doesn't know her, right? He, he promises he'll get to know her, her, right? Like I'll offer you explanations of yourself, theories about yourself, authentic and surprising news of yourself. Yeah, I can see, I can definitely see your angle. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I think, I think he's longing, right? It's, it's an emotional, it's reactive. It's, it's that promise to try to make it work is kind of how I took it. I think it's a fair interpretation. I guess it's just towards the end of the poem, it felt like this one was a little bit more negative versus poem one, which seemed to end more on a positive note. This one felt that he's saying, I'm going to tell you things about you that you don't know. Well, who are you to tell me about me? I know me. Uh, are you just going to give me a different perspective? Well, that's fair. That's fine. But just because you think it's your perspective doesn't mean that that is the genuine me. And again, we've talked about so many times before that we put masks on and it, has he had a conversation with this woman? Has he gone on a date with this woman? Has he even talked to her? Uh, you know, does he know her philosophy, her view on life or anything? I mean, wh what if she smells? <laughs> uh, you know, I guess it's just uh, when, when you are in a relationship that is in your head from afar you don't know genuinely what is there. And I think that it is arrogant, uh, maybe a better term than manipulative, of you to think that you would be able to navigate this relationship 100% perfectly. And that's how I kind of took the poem is that I'm going to tell you things about you. I'm going to fill you with my loneliness. It, it just, and again, uh, maybe I am I'm a broken romantic at heart. I don't know, uh, <laughs> but I, I I struggle with the end of this poem finding the romanticism like I found very easily in the first poem and the at the end of the very first poem. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's an element of you know they, there's that quote the the nice guys finish last thing, and the guy does put on this veneer of some sort. I, I agree with you that there's a mask here and I'm not sure if I can trust it either. Right. Because he, he wrote this in English. Thank goodness. Cause otherwise I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how much weight to put on this word. But, but one of the last things he says there, he says, I am trying to bribe you with uncertainty, with danger, with defeat. Right. And what does that mean? He's, he's not, trying to be the nice guy, right? He might even be a little bit of a bad boy, right? There's there's danger, there's defeat, there's uncertainty with this man, and he uses it not to entice, to seduce, but to bribe, 
right? That's a very interesting word choice there when it comes to wooing someone. You don't bribe potential lovers, right? Unless you feel that you are above them and are potentially looking down on them potentially. Or, or hear me out, when else is there money involved in relationships? Oh, no, don't I mean, go there. there. Are... Okay, all right. <laughs> You're going to ruin the whole thing for me. <laughs> uh... So I don't know. I, I, let's do this. Let's, let's take a step back. Just on a raw, like, you know, when we think about the intellectualism of of Borges, the way he approaches infinity, the way he approaches... Um, you know, uh, duplication of knowledge and, and agnosticism. How surprising were these poems, right? Like, don't these hit on this emotional level? This, it's it's like it's that quote from Clarice Lispector when they said, "Hey, this this book you wrote was significantly easier to read and relatable." What happened? And Clarice replied uh, that she humanized herself for this effort. That's. That's Borges's two poems for me. There's there's a humanization in this where he stepped down from his his intellectual uh, stage to to relate something on a human level that I felt. I, it, how did you take this? Yeah, it, it's very emotional, and don't get me wrong, it, it definitely hit me, uh, and, and I got some feelings. I got I got hit in the feels, uh, and, and it brought up a lot of emotions from uh, teenage crypto. Uh, about being in certain types of relationships, um, love type relationships from afar, and ones that you know I actually had as a teenager when dating, and it was very surprising that it was it was Borges that was making me feel this because he's the one that I've always said in all these videos he makes my brain hurt in a good way, mm-hmm. and I love how he challenges my way of thinking. And had you given me these poems and said, "Hey, crypto, read these two poems. Let's do a video on this." And at the very end, and don't cheat, the very end of the video, I will tell you who wrote these. Or you can guess. I'll give you three guesses. Never in a million years would have I have picked Borges of writing these two poems because it is so far from his traditional style. But it just shows how masterfully he had uh, uh, done uh, these poems in English, which obviously he was fluent. But uh, I have also seen that they try to translate these and it just doesn't have that same feel. So these poems had to be written in English. And I just, uh, I'm very, very impressed. And uh, I, I loved both of them. And I think they're both worth a read. A man who's mastered his craft. If you want to hear more talks about Borges, we've got a playlist down below where we've got plenty of other videos and more to come. This is going to be the year Borges. I hope you join us in checking out some more of his works. My name's Benuna. Peace out. Peace.